<laughs> yeah, before we get on to the uh, to the standard Uzi chat and uh, sorry less Star Trek chat this week, mine is Jim. We have uh, Danny Thomas with us, and, uh, and what do you do, Danny? I am a communications officer for Sony PlayStation QA. And what does that involve? My day-to-day job is processing information, absorbing it. Do, does it need to go on to any particular team? A lot of the queries are how do I do this? So how do I submit this aspect of the game? How do I correct this error? And if I can answer it myself, which I can most, then I will tell them what it is they need to do. Um, if not, then I need to get an answer for them. Does uh, is this overlap with what you used to do back in the day, Stephen? Back in the day, before we had our the, Nando's meeting, the golden years of two thousand seven to about. 2009-ish? No, I was more... uh, I was a senior tester on stuff that was like playing the game every day and writing reports or whatever. So, well, I don't know if there was much overlap, but there didn't seem to be uh, that particular role where I was. There probably was integrated into team leaders and maybe handover reports, but it was a different time, I think, because PlayStation 3 was just coming in. So you were kind of working it all out as you went. The systems were in place, but it was like, okay, how do we get the best out of this? And then the triangle formed, which I always think is in QA, but maybe Dan can tell me a bit different, is that test hates dev because <laughs> because they think they're not listening to them. Dev hates test because they think they're telling them the game's a bunch of shit. And production hates everyone because the game's not finished yet. So you're just in this tri- lovely triangle of just guys everyone is not odds i would say but different departments have different goals and those goals sometimes end up winding people up because if you're saying to someone we thought you'd fix this they're like yeah but and but you can't have that dialogue it just says it's not fixed yet or closed as designed which is the best answer basically it means get fucked as in, as in what i said i'd do this and i've done it and now no, i'm so asking someone else the closest designed where i was in a few places was Okay, basically the game's got to come out soon. So this tiny little bug, <laughs> we're just going to let that one slide. <laughs> or NAB, so not a bug stuff. It's just the closer you get to, to final or release, the more that comes in and obvious because you're just like, it's like when you know your mum's coming home and you, there's just some bits of the room that aren't quite tidy. You do the big like, shit, just, but you just leave the Yeah, right, just yeah. under the bed that'll go and if anyone finds it, oh well. Yeah, well. And it's a very prescient analogy to be honest. What I will say is the different kinds of QA. When it comes to my department, it is pretty much end game, as in this is what we intend to release, you know, like that's mm. pretty much what we expect to receive. It's not always the case and we are often notified in advance that something may be in an unstable state because it's not there or it's pre-master code, which, mm. you know, like obviously pre-master code is unpredictable at best. I think the thing is, with me saying there's different kinds of QAs, I've worked, I used to be a tester, that's how I started, and I worked for our internal, like, first party, or as now known, WWS, and I was entering bugs as you were, and I'm not saying that the de facto response was design as intended but you know you, you do sometimes find that that was the answer and it might have been your favorite one but in in this triangle that you mentioned again where i would completely agree with you i think that my job and the job of my department is kind of in the middle of all three mm. because it has to get through format qa to go onto the platform whether that be ps4 ps3 or Vita, yeah. it's got to come through. has it changed a lot though now because you can release a game and then you release updates over the internet as opposed to when you put it out on a disc and you put it in, and that was kind of it. I would say hugely so, yes. The PS3, let's go back to the PS2, if you, if you like. The PS2 
the internet was an afterthought. Here's an Ethernet of box. <laughs> Lol. Plug it into the back of your PS2, and you and the other three people, the people, you and the other three people around the world can play SOCOM go wild. <laughs> the PS3 obviously came slightly after the Xbox, and life had a big head start. It did feel as though PS3 was playing catch up for a couple of years at that point and the PS3 had to kind of integrate all this online stuff all in one go and it took a while to balance things out and when we did then yeah patches are a huge thing as well now in addition to patches the amount of DLC that you get you know additional contents that's quite a lucrative market um your likes of Rockstar um love like the GTA Online has evolved into this monster that keeps on gathering momentum. momentum keeps on momentum. gathering it's, fucking money. <laughs> well, it, it's it's huge, isn't it? It's huge, and you know, like I, I'm not the kind of person where I've got to have the shot master costume from his WCW debut. You know, I'm not that, <laughs> that kind of, of person. But that's Jim, isn't it? Yeah, that is Jim. <laughs> well, I've kind of double crossed myself there because if the shot master from WCW <laughs> was available, I would buy. Yeah. I don't even own GTA Five. I would buy GTA Five to own this piece of DLC. But there's several pieces of of DLC that mean something to people. Like over Christmas, I bought the Resogun season pass. Now I've not played Resogun for three or four years, but my little boy loves it. So I sit there, I give him a dead PS4 controller when he thinks he's helping me, which keeps him quiet. That's got to be parenting one on one, isn't it? Where of you can sit a little yeah. kid, give him a controller. Yeah. I'm, I'm even more deceitful and duplicitous than that. The other day, <laughs> I was playing Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch, and he was thought he was helping me with the PS4 controller. Dan's on sixteen though. That's the worst <laughs> thing, <isn't> it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he. He, he, he buys into that and he, he buys into um, Pro Evo as well which is really handy you can play Burns I'll probably beat him shocking shocking that is it I'm out oh, I must say I've, I must have put hundreds of hours into this year's Pro Evolution Soccer so when I upgraded to the PlayStation Pro um, I copied all my save data to the, the cloud and with Pro Evo I can't be doing with West Yorkshire Whites or East Yorkshire Oranges, which is fucking Leeds United's badge. Yeah, the Leeds United <laughs> badge, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Craig David and Kez one was my favourite, but there, was, <laughs> there were thousands of photoshops, each one befitting of, of Pro Evolution yeah. Soccer, which the actual badge. And obviously, uh, Aston Villa went to town on this. That was amazing. That was a brilliant yeah. bit of social yeah. media. West Midlands Village against um, West Yorkshire Whites. I do, for considering they're such a boring football club, we've not contributed anything to football ever, for, certainly for the least last 25 years. I applaud Villa they, <laughs> for they, that piece. Yeah, they, they won Twitter that day, yeah. We're going back to the um, to the updates over the internet. Is a lot of that to do with fighting piracy in the sense that everyone had a chipped, oh, so, I, so I've heard, a chipped <laughs> PlayStation and PlayStation 2. You could get hold of games and stuff where you, you never That's ever see or hear of, these of days, that now. Really. I th- well, I, I mean, does it even exist? Yeah, it's like the cracking, like, I mean, the Vita... Uh, sorry, PSP, when that was cracked. Now, I don't know anyone who had a cracked PSP, but if I did, I would say that was pretty much the best handheld of all time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel that, you know, the days of the, the chipping glory days where your dad's mate, newer mate, that kind of thing, it's a bit more specialised. Especially, in the, well, certainly in the PS3 era, because it, it was just a monster even to get working if you knew how it worked. Mm-hmm. But I would say that... Like live environments, so the games that come out, I think it's a double-edged sword because in the back of your mind, it's almost like knowing that you've got an overdraft or like a soft extension on something, or particularly when I was, that is like, okay, you can, we can leave that for like the, the patch, but then you start slipping into, yeah, but we'll fix that. We'll fix that in the next round. And mm. then suddenly you're on that slippery slope of halfway down it, you're going, 
oh shit, there's a massive memory leak in this game because we haven't fixed it or we haven't anticipated this will happen and we're fucked. And that happens... A couple of years ago, it used to just be everywhere. I know Skyrim on PS3 had a gigantic memory leak in it, which rendered the game essentially unplayable after about 30 or 40 hours. And so, yeah, it's... I don't know, Dan, you've been in the in the game, shall I say, after I was. But at the time, it felt like with PlayStation, come, PlayStation 3 coming out, Xbox having such great uh, online services and live environments, sometimes it'd be like, oh, well, we can fix that later. Like, it's not essential, but then where does that... End. And does a lot of it have a knock-on effect if you don't address that problem initially then? Yeah, because it's a system, so right? It's built yeah, on other comes, things. Yeah. I can't think of any specific examples. I probably wouldn't be able to talk about them anyway, but it's more a, a development mindset. Like You're under such intense pressure, and in certain games, things can crop up literally right at the last second. You could be talking about uh, internal platform holder certification. It's, it's brutal, right? especially if you're from outside, so you're a third party. I went to a developer's office once, and on the back, they were in crunch for submission, and on the back of the toilet doors, they had, what's an A-class bug for Sony? What's an A-class bug for uh, for Xbox? And I, I think at Sony, you get, is it 26 points? And then you fail. So one of the platform models, so C-class, B-class, and A-class have different uh, numbers associated with them. So I think it's like 12 for A, uh, and then lesser. So you can have a lot of little bugs, but you can't have any showstoppers. You can't have something that says, well, depends who you are. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's more, it gets into the minds of the people that are making it more than I would say a piracy issue or, mm-hmm. although it does help, like you change your checksum or change anything like that, it can help, but. I think since th- this generation seems, I mean, I'm touching wood here because piracy is not good for. Stop touching the fucking wood, you're knocking the mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's piracy doesn't seem to be as prevalent this generation I'm not saying it's unhackable because it isn't, but the constant evolution of firmware yeah. will, will continually nix anything that comes up. With with the PS1, which was notoriously prone to it, you know, I, I you may know more about this than me, Steve, because it's before my time, but the firmware went out. I, I don't know how that firmware was updated. I don't know whether it was burnt onto some, some games that came out. I seem to remember that was how it worked on the PS2. I mean, you always used to have to look at the disc, and if the back of the disc was black, it was legitimate, and if it was just a normal CD yeah, colour with a shit <laughs> the thing stuck on top then it wasn't but you didn't have to in say the PlayStation 1 probably way into the end of the PS2 era basically you didn't have like a live environment you know, SOCOM was a bit you know the afterthought so the first PlayStation was in the you know the 94 one you could fucking run imported games by putting a bit of blue tack at the thing which held the lid closed and then when it went from two times to four yeah, was it one spinning, to two wasn't it? yeah the grandmaster flash so the wheels yeah. spin- <laughs> just grab it when it slows put it in because that's where it does a security check in i think it was play magazine had a guide on how to do that <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> is that is this guys are we really but you know but since so you so that was why in in terms of like firmware updates or whatever it was just a, a essentially a stack box and once you were round like some games had different security features on the disc so it would try and find or read something at a certain point and if you'd bypass this or that or the other then you know you might get found out but for most games it didn't matter and i got a uh, version of a very famous game which i, I won't talk about that was not really because in those days you'd have to wait six months 
for fucking Metal Gear Solid to, you know, in Japan. And then it's like, right, we'll see you in April, guys. Mm-hmm. What? I don't know. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, when you think about it now, it's incredible, yeah. though, isn't it? But by the time that you, I had uh, a version of this game, not Metal Gear Solid, at the start, it just had uh, like the demo scene, as it's called. It had all these other graphics. You may remember when you booted up a, a pirate PlayStation game, which obviously we've never done. The Royal Wii, you know, the yeah. hypothetical Wii, uh, and it would have like new new menus at the start, probably by the person who did it. And some of them would, you know, be three D. The best one of those was I think Kotaku reported on this for GTA Four. Someone got it, cracked it, put their own menu at the start, and said, "This game's really good. Go and buy it." <laughs> <laughs> but so you'd have people who were doing that and they would probably rip out most of the security stuff anyway if they knew where it was because they they dumped the files they'd hex edit they knew how how to get that out but now like you say it's just not that easy to open a box and solder something onto the main board now and go there because immediately I mean it, it's not worth it now when they when they cost <laughs> 450 quid yeah, to, to pop it open. It's a big and... I, I think the, the whole, not just, not just PlayStation, but Microsoft as well, it feels very pirate safe. I mean, I'm saying this now, some jabroni is going to start sharpening <laughs> the screwdriver, aren't they? But, you know, it, 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 when we're back to the PlayStation 2, there's a PlayStation 1 days, if you released a game with a, a game-breaking bug in it, unlucky, recall it, because that was the only way you could fix it. Um, there was no patches, there was mm-hmm. no um, hot fixes, no nothing like that. Whereas like, this whole live environment that, that Steve mentioned, it means that things can constantly be changed, constantly be added to, and for me, it, it helps keep the console safe from any potential piracy. And it's a perception thing, I think, as well, for players, is that you know it's going to get checked. It's like, you know, you don't... you. It's like having a border you know, where once there was none and you'd have to go through it every day. In the end, you just stop fucking smuggling stuff or trying something. Mm-hmm. you just be like, I can't be fucking... Unless you really wanted to do it. And you don't want to... And so much of people's identities is tied into game well, tags. Your credit cards and everything are on the So now, what you don't they? want is Steam, for example, VAC bans people and that's it. You're fucked. You can't play online. Steam's the, the one you want... Say you've got a gamer tag and it's got 150,000, 200,000 gamer score. You're fucking banned. That's it. Your identity is gone in a manner of speaking. So people, I just think that they moved away from chancing it. And I also think that in the original PlayStation days, you had these, what were essentially boxes with time. You know, the most important part was the disk drive because that was the thing that would fail the most because it was the only moving part in the entire thing. But you also had games that cost quite a lot of money and they still do but the breadth of choice now is so massive so if people just want to play certain games then a they don't have to wait forever for games to come out between japan and uh britain b they have so much more choice in terms of indie titles or freeware or smaller games downloadable games so you know if you're talking about when i was younger and certain people wanted to get pirate games it was more about you didn't have any money because mm-hmm. if you had the money, you probably just do it. Well, you just go and buy the real thing. Exactly, but, but you it's know. harder to get hold of than I fancy playing that game. So you go to the PlayStation Store and then five yeah. minutes later, you're playing it. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. So you have that immediacy. And there are other avenues like PlayStation uh, Now and PlayStation Plus. And so it's those days were very narrow in terms of what was on offer. And now it's just completely different. And mm-hmm. that's fed into the the piracy and the, and the rest of it, I feel. For me, I you know. I think you're seeing the same in the movie business as such, really. You don't really get the dodgy DVDs as much as you used to because everyone's got Netflix for six months. Exactly. That's it, right? I remember uh, a person who wasn't me but looks almost exactly like me (laughs) and talks like me 
so speaking of delays, remember when uh, The Last Jedi came out and it was midnight releases everywhere and people were talking about, oh, the first fan impressions are in from you know New Zealand or whatever mm-hmm. because the time frames. I remember there was a two-month wait between the US and the UK releases of The Phantom Menace. A two, it killed it. I was like, the reviews came out and they went, shit. Yeah, of course so, it killed it. Yeah, no one's... But I, I was at school and my friend <clears throat> said, well, I know someone who has like a, a version. Uh, like, uh, I was like, well, I'm not fucking waiting. Anyway, so off my friend went. <laughs> and yeah, well, uh, I mean, at the same came time, came back with a VHS with the worst quality I've ever seen. <laughs> well, that's just how the film was meant to be. Probably, <laughs> probably not better, to be honest. But you know, there was a, the barriers to entry before were a lot bigger. Games still cost a lot of money, but you know, you can you can get at them. You can get access to them in a way that you you necessarily couldn't do before. I think. Still to this point, the most I've ever paid for a game, not including the special editions. Is fifty pound for Earthworm Jim on the Mega Drive? Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, you'll get your special editions like Call of Duty, or which one was it? Um, the one that had Modern Warfare remastered included. Infinite Infin- Warfare. Infinite Warfare. You know, like that was kind of like a special edition, but it, it wasn't at the same time. It was still sixty pounds. Mm. However, you're paying X pounds for the new version and however much they deemed mm-hmm. price worthy of. Modern Warfare remastered. Yeah, it was like seventy nine ninety nine. It was, it was quite expensive. Yeah. I mean, it didn't last. You know, like that 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 soon dropped in price. Yeah. Um, but that's that's not the most I've ever paid for a game up from fifty pound Earthworm Jim. And mm. I, I'm not sure I buy in games. I buy lots of games. That's the yeah. That's incredible paid. when you consider the like when you do Inflation. the behind the scenes stuff. The actually the amount of work that's gone into you know, Monster Hunter is the one that's just come out that we've been work, yeah, working. Yeah. When on. you when you, how many years and how years many and years and. The people, I think the most I've ever paid that's not special edition and not like you know something that had well, like behind the scenes stuff or whatever is roughly about 60 or 65 quid for a secondhand imported version of Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. And so, Resident Evil 4, again, there was a bit of a delay between the US and UK release, and I had a US GameCube. Uh, which was the Resident Evil box because they would all come out for uh, Resident Evil Remake, my favorite game of all time. And so there was this little shop uh, on Goode Street in London that had import games. And I'd be calling them every day, like, listen, when are you getting Resident Evil 4? And they're like, oh, well, uh, no, listen, we've got one in second out of 65 quid. And I went, hold that fucker down. <laughs> and I was not disappointed. Money well, you know, cheap. But I yeah. need to play it on the Wii. It's amazing on the way. It yeah, makes it some sections uh, a bit easier, like some of the shooting sections in the castle where you get the bottle caps, whatever. But it's so good. It really, it's easy to get headshots, but it's also easy uh, harder when it become the game become, becomes more tense hmm. because it's on you to aim. You know, before you're on a stick in that muscle memory, but now you're like you. You know, if there's any shake in your hand or whatever, that's fucking brilliant. Wii edition is amazing. I've got a confession to make. I've never actually played a Resident Evil game because I'm a massive wimp. Oh, yeah, you you fucking hate horror, don't you? <laughs> uh, I don't hate it. It's just that the closest I came to playing a Resident Evil game was when my friend was playing Resident Evil 2 and I was cowering behind the St. Helens combination <laughs> cricket scores <laughs> in the St. Helens star. I was not... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I Jim's mean, a bit of a wimp as well, isn't he? We were both, like, pumped for, 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 for Resi 7 and he obviously yeah. played it uh, and enjoyed it but was much, like, terrified the whole time. Yeah. And the same when we did the, the, the experience that they put on... 
even though we went round to do a recce of how we were going to shoot it and you knew where all the jump scares were from yeah. more or less and stuff because it was you know a technical rehearsal then me and Jim did it as a run through and he was still petrified like you yeah. spoke to the actor playing him <laughs> 10 minutes ago yeah it's interesting I feel on a lot of people who say they don't like certain games because they're scared or whatever and I, I do feel that a lot of it is down to the music if you put, turn, the, turn the sound off on any horror movie and suddenly it's just something that's happening in the background mm-hmm. and then what's that fucking killer certain kilohertz banding that gives you the fear oh, the but you can't the dread the, yeah. the brown note yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah Jim's not not great on that but that experience was pretty you know intense the, who when you had to get in the the mortuary I had to get that on the slab that was obviously me wasn't it Jim wasn't getting in there for and any no, amount close, of money you get in the slab it closes and then there's a big scare where you have to work out how to solve the puzzle. I'd be like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. See you later. Yeah, I'll just stick to <laughs> Pro Evolution Soccer. Also, <laughs> those ones. He sticks to your footy. Jim will stick to his dragons. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I do play a wider array of games, but nothing that you, you can like, call jumping. But with that being said, very strangely, one of the best games I've ever played, without exception, is The Last of Us. And Yeah, it, Burns. It it's was, a good game. It's not the best game of all time, Dave. It was... I was uncomfortable at all times waiting for something to go wrong. There's some really great moments of ten, attention. In yeah, that. and the best ending in a game I've ever seen. Um, just one word. I'm not going to spoil it for the listeners, but just one word, the very last word of the game. The, yeah, the whole thing's brilliant. I mean, when, when is, so the, well is the second one still tipped to come out this year, or is that going to get pushed, do we think? I don't think we've got anything really concrete, concrete have we? I think it's all just a bit of... See how, see how it goes. What, what are we looking forward to this this coming year then? Um, Pro Evolution Soccer 19. <laughs> I'm sure that will be... I don't know if they're going to do one this year. Um, Shut up, mate. I wish they could make Super Mario Odyssey every week. That is an awesome game, which I love. Gives me travel sickness, mate. It's fucking <laughs> too... Moves too fucking fast. <laughs> well, maybe you just can't control it well enough. Yeah, I'm not arguing that, that that's not a possibility. Um, I am... Very much looking forward to Red Dead Redemption Two. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think everyone is. Everyone, I mean, you know, you, you talk about groundbreaking moments in games. PlayStation One for me was when I first picked up Metal Gear Solid, mm-hmm. and that was the best piracy, anti-piracy policy. Put a code on the back of a CD case because no one can figure it out. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, <laughs> is, it, is it was it called Zool that the game the colour wheel yeah you have to do the colour wheel yeah. and spin I've still got that at home have you to put the code in yeah. Zool was Amiga wasn't it yeah, yeah. The, the, the ninja ants yeah yeah the Amiga <laughs> has some amazing copy protection stuff like the colour wheels and then turn to whatever page on the manual and then the third word down on the second yes, paragraph it's, it's like fucking it's a game in my five shit yeah, it, it <laughs> was, so good it was less like a game to more like an escape room yeah yeah <laughs> at times wasn't it it was just a uh, yeah, um, so, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two certainly on my list. Um, the Last of Us Two when it when it comes out. I mean, we've, we've seen the trailer. That seemed to be a step up in brutality to me. Yeah, that we had a conversation a, about that previously. Yeah, I, I, I recall. Yeah, it seemed to be a lot more visceral, and I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it might be taken out of context. It might be. Yeah. But it certainly got people talking. That's the whole point of trailers. Um, whether or not you liked the trailer. Mm-hmm. I suppose really is an irrelevance. It's a case of has it got you talking? Has it got people talking? It, it did. It's only big switch titles coming out this year. The chat in the early part of the well, no, it's still early, but uh, kind of around early January was well, what are they going to do? Because they've had such an incredible last year. They've sold bucket loads of the machines. They've had two of the 
two games which a lot of people will love forever, mm-hmm. which will probably go down. I am talking, of course, about arms. And, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is, is E3 because it feels like this is going to be a, a not necessarily transformative year, but everyone's in a different position. And those yeah. were always the, be- the best years. So Nintendo, you know, whatever the fuck they want, they're on their own as they usually are. Microsoft's Xbox One X is almost positioned as the a kind of glorified Steam box, like the best place to play um, uh, third-party exclusives that's not a PC. And so now, but Sony are, are winning, are leading, and or have won the last generation, as it were. So now they're like, well, where do, where do they go? And that's the most, when everyone has different paths they can take. Mm. The early days of 360, when they had all the, you know. What was the boxing one that was a, a launch title? Fight Night, Night Round 3? Uh, yeah. We, that was an incredible That was when title. I knew we weren't in Kansas anymore. <laughs> when the guy takes the punch and he goes, Oh, and then you see a bit so I was like oh my goodness this is it this is it we're finally here <laughs> that was the so I started to realise towards the end of the PS2 generation that I wasn't satisfied by how games looked I felt like we should have been further along I know PS2 is a console but it was when uh, Far Cry the original came out on uh, PC and it was where you had bump mapping and all the textures looked not real if you look back now but mm-hmm. they, it had something to them didn't necessarily look like a video game I was like right we're finally getting there and then I think with Fight Night round three I was like we are there and so now it's just that big leap has happened and now it's kind of refinement know, isn't it funny though how, how you remember, I remember looking at games and thinking like whoa that's basically photorealistic like the Grand original Turismo. Tomb Raider <laughs> and then going back and playing it you're like oh it's about eight pixels wide but yeah. I suppose you get, it is at the edge of technology at that point yeah. so yeah yeah, you can look back and, and laugh about almost, you know, we look at cars uh, or old televisions from the 50s and 60s where there was a lot more design in them, where they weren't just rectangles, mm-hmm. black or silver rectangles, where they like some of them would be bubble shaped or some of them would be built into a massive wall unit. And so, yeah, but Gran Turismo still looks good to me because it's not just about the the photorealism aspect, which doesn't isn't there anymore, but the artistry in creating how the cars look, it, they still look good. But it's not like you go back and go, oh, that looks shit now. It doesn't look amazing, but you can see why people thought it looked that good because it's the first time you've but seen But some of them, I don't know if it was the latest Gran Turismo or if it was the latest Forza or something, but the it was so photorealistic that I didn't realise I was watching video <laughs> game footage for the first like minute. Yeah. I guess it's easier to do on wider things of, of, of cars than human Anything in it, faces. Yeah. But still, it was Inorganic incredible. Is is easier to, because your brain is trained to recognise movement in faces, for example. And well, then you're fighting billions of years of evolution, aren't you, to try yeah. and match that. Stupid fucking evolution. Getting <laughs> on my back again. One thing uh, we didn't touch upon on, um, on the QA side, or the test side, or whatever I wanted to talk about is, so, I like it. There's been a lot of talk, especially after, was it EA spouse, like working conditions and crunches. Developers are a bit more open now about, you know, how the sausage is made, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, you know, obviously if you can't talk about it, but it, I always loved working in QA because it felt like the when you were there, even though you weren't making a lot of money 
and the hours were terrible. There's a camaraderie there. If you love video games, you were kind of you felt like you were like at that cutting edge, or at least on the hill. It feels like a job that no one really goes into unless they are passionate about video games. Right? I knew some of the best testers that I even knew didn't like video games. So really? they, they were outside that bubble. They weren't playing it like a game. They were testing it like a piece of software. So they never played games outside, which is front to back. But yeah, it seems. I just want to know like how the how the culture is. Has it changed with the stakes are higher, the budgets are bigger, or is it just the same as it was? You know, it's probably not changed very much. Um, I mean, personally, I, I I'm not just saying. I'm speaking as Daniel Thomas, the author, and I also <laughs> happen to work for Sony. My, my views are not representative of Sony at any point. Yeah. I absolutely love what I do, and I have done since the moment I walked through the door, which was pretty much seven and a half years ago. What I will say to you, Steve, is that we have a very low turnover of staff because people enjoy what they do. Yeah. They are testing games and that you are being paid to test video games. You know, that is an awesome thing to do. And I mean, I don't work shifts. I work Sunday to Thursday, which technically is shifts, but um, you know, like it's, we work four-day shifts in our department for, okay. for the, the, the testers themselves. So... You know, like the, the hours are awesome as well. You get four days on. Four what days are you off. What are you doing when you're t- testing a game though? Because from the from the outside looking in, it sounds fucking amazing. You go to work and you play video games all day. I'm sure that actually the reality is. The play you know, part like, is. Oh, the oh, part oh, you're working film. Great. So what do you do? Just sit around, hang out with Tom Cruise at red carpets all day. No, well, Dave, no, you, I mean, I mean the rain for, for yourself. 15 hours. Yeah, you have got a button on your shirt <laughs> quite provocatively there, Dave. Um, no, it, it it doesn't work like that. It obviously, it doesn't. we all know it, it doesn't work yeah. like that. But are you, are you testing, say, a level continuously, or are you testing a single function, like the jump button throughout the game, or are you trying to see... There's test cases that must every game or application must adhere to that goes onto the, the, the platform. So it's testing against those... those and what's that in layman's terms? terms? Let's just take this and must, must not crash when, it, when you boot it up. So call that test case one. Obviously, if you boot something and it just crashes, you've got a serious problem. (laughs) (laughs) I would expect they get beyond that problem, to be fair. Sometimes in a lot of builds, it doesn't, though. And especially if you're kind of mid-alpha, a lot of times you'll try and boot it and it'll go nah, and then you have to wait for the next burn, which is the next build to to come through. (laughs) The way I thought about it was, it was, it depends on your, who you work for and how they work as well, because Dan was saying different... QA styles and systems and names for stuff. So I worked in persistence and UI on one title. Do things appear at the same time when unlocks go for you as other players? Uh, do Can you see, the say, say you ranked up in an online shooter, does everyone see, um, does the rich text presence come up to say that an achievement has popped if you're doing a team achievement or... You know, when you get that achievement, can someone then go onto your Xbox Live profile and see that it's popped for you? And then you have, we had stuff called like Gold Digger playthroughs where someone had to get every collectible in the game. And then a Roadrunner, so they had to get through the game as quickly as possible. Sync tests, how long can the game run until it explodes, basically, a week, a month. So it can go from do a playthrough or be incredibly specialized, so it's persistence, so what we were doing and user interface stuff. And it's those little bugs that start getting you in the end. It's because the jump stuff, you say like the jump button probably works and if it doesn't, you know about it. But it's the unlocks, especially if those unlocks are something that the system holder says has to happen, no matter how minor, 
that achievement must show for that person. And if it doesn't, you're in, it seems so minor, but you're in a lot of trouble going forward because you know when you go to the platform, I'd be like, well, why is nothing popping on Rich Presence? Oh, well, it's not. Well, we've spent a lot of money making that mm-hmm. and it's part of the, you know, especially when achievements were massive. So, yeah. Well, and, and I have done that kind of testing, die a thousand times, right, okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, it takes a while to do things like that. The the testing that I, I used to do was was more focused on the technical side of things. Like uh, we don't do this anymore, uh, ejecting discs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like term like forcing to unexpected terminations on the machine. How does it handle it? Does it just eject? Oh wait, so you're seeing that from the machine point of view or from the game? Point it's of view? it's it's both. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a mixture of the two. Um, in terms of gameplay, we don't do again. Okay, we don't do gameplay. Mm-hmm. That's the responsibility of the developer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if we see something like, do you realise that this game is upside down on fire, mm-hmm. then we, we may raise it to their attention. You know, like if you can't do anything, we may raise it to their attention. But um, we, we are focused on the, does it do as it should do? Does it follow these test cases? Yes or no? Yes. Cool. No. It's a bug. Flag why? In the, one of the best bugs was in the early days of Battlefield, uh, sorry, Battlefield, Modern Combat, I want to say. Battlefield 2 Modern Combat, I think it was called on Xbox 360, the one before Bad Company. That if you were playing the game on a wired internet connection, if you were saying about removing discs, removing peripherals, removing AV cables, used to be the big one, pull out the HDMI and see what happens when you plug it back in. Most of the time, the game would be fucking toast. <laughs> but when you, if you just wiggled your Ethernet cable, just a little bit, not enough to pull it out, but enough to disrupt a little bit of the signal, then the game, the packets would drop and you, your character would go invisible, but you could still move around the game world and action, so you could fire, you could drive, you could do anything. And so you had these people just go, dunk, like uh, almost like a lag switch of sorts. And so you're getting killed from, you know, what is this? And everyone's going, <laughs> and it's the easiest thing to test, but a lot of those things in QA come out of use cases by the users not necessarily the testers because if you didn't know that exists why would you be looking for yeah. it and that's why in those days especially when online became such a big component it was about pulling everything out of it at any moment and seeing how the game reacted like when you ran out of batteries for example did the game pause if it paused how did it pause where did it take you if you ejected the disc did it go back to the dashboard did it give you an error message and there was a big problem with some Xbox 360s could run, or they thought they could run unsigned code at one point, ejecting the disk at a certain point, putting it in. So the technical stuff is fascinating. That's the stuff that I really like doing, trying to not play through the game, but trying to, to properly break it in a way. And it required a bit of, sometimes you feel like a bit like a drone, get the collectibles. But sometimes it's like, how do we... How do I bro- how would I break it? How would someone who wanted to get an advantage do it? And then what? How does the game function? And some of the bugs people found in that. Absolutely. Well, that's it. You, you have the, the checklist to follow with all these test cases, but how you get to the end of it is is down to yourself. You know how, how do and and that's where you get into a routine. Then, as you say, you you you, you can feel like well, I've done this for the last three days, and suddenly you'll find something, and then you'll pursue it, and it, it is really rewarding when you chase that bug down. You know, you find out exactly what caused it, and then you can get it to one hundred percent. And then, how many bugs would you have in a in a game? Oh, it's when you, I mean, are we to, mm. are we talking in the hundreds? No, not not from my experience. Now, th- this is probably a question more best at Steve because, as I say, we we get submissions 
on the based on the assumption that they are going that is their final submission. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is probably but one best for Steve. When I tested in um, in WWS as they're now known, um, there was a lot of bugs in it. Yes, but that was because it was going from version not not one. It could be version not. 100 or whatever yeah. like it could be mm. huge numbers of versions because it's been going from scratch and then you're getting towards the final one then a bug that's been brought to the attention that they don't want to fix is going to be open now that might be bug one or it could be bug 101 you mm. know it's mm. it's i have never seen anything with approaching that number of bugs that is submitted to us because i was our well, you're the final hurdle we, we are basically the, the 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 final guardian yeah mm. we, we are like like we want to get you onto the platform, but you've got to pass our tests first because, you know, like, we are the maintaining the, the integrity of the of the, of the platform mm-hmm. at the end of the day. It's a mm-hmm. Very important role. Yeah, when you when you have a release candidate, for example, you want that to be as tight as possible because it costs money to submit, like a lot of money as well. So, uh, if you're a third party, to to Sony, to Xbox. It costs, you know, and that's why a lot of indie developers, they were saying they wanted to make, Xbox wanted to make that submission a bit easier because it's a lot of, you know, cash. But yeah, in the early days of the build, if you can play the game in the traditional sense, then whoever made it is is the greatest game developer of all time because there will be holes in the world, the weapon won't fire. At one point in one extremely famous first person shooter, uh, there was no crosshair. So the the test team had to put a tiny bit of blue tack in the middle of the screen where they thought that because <laughs> it's very difficult when they it's not like doing where the gun is down the middle so wherever the gun points if you're at a slight angle like most first person shooters are these days you know when you see the gun and it's kind of you know twenty degree angles it's difficult to know where that bullet's gonna go it's you know um, there are some games that I've I've worked on which were in shit state going towards release kind of like terrible holes in the world you could get out of the world you could run around there was no way of of, of getting back in in the worst games to test are the ones that have I worked on a, a very famous strategy game extremely famous and the tests were does the unit move forward yep can the move, unit move back there's like 20,000 of these units in the game can it strafe left can it strafe right that was a long and it's also like there are different ways of making it move forward does it move forward with a double click on the mouse yes does it move forward with a click of whatever on the keyboard yes does the numpad work I'm going numb fucking pad on this (laughs) Um, but when you Dan says when you when you use your creativity there was a famous racing game that had an E3 demo and and people think the demo is just they just slice it out like a reel of a film and you go just watch that well you can't because it takes time and resources and you need to make sure that if it's an open world game you can't get out well in this one wait uh, so there's a possibility if you downloaded the demo of monster hunter and which when they did the beta if you what you could if well, there was a bug you could get into the whole thing well it's so for example one of the famous ones is saints row mm-hmm. and on the original for 360 it had a force field of sorts around the the area but if you parked the car up uh, on the driver's side against this force field and a tiny, minute calculation of where it needed to be and open the door, the animation would, would clip through, step you outside. Now, the rest of the world's not finished and can't stream in, so you can get a bit further along. 
like the Resident Evil 2 time demo for PlayStation, you can turn the clock off using action replay. And you can get pretty far into the game, but once it hits a certain point, it just crashes because there's no streaming from there. But for this E3 build, I was with a guy uh, and we've been tasked with getting out of this game world. We were driving along and we were trying and he was like, I know it's here. I was like, it's weird, like, because you could hit the wall and it felt like it would move a little bit. And I wonder if that's just our minds, like, playing tricks. And I was like, I'll tell you what, we can fucking do it. And um, it was a PS3 build and he was like, well, what if we use one of the cars as a wedge? Yeah, a sports car with a low bonnet. I'm like, okay. And so we tried it a few times. And then when we tried it launching it off, we realized that the front of the car had clipped through when it hadn't done before. And I reckon if we get a faster car, we can do it. And it hit the wall, the collision went a bit weird, and then it spat out on the other side, and you could drive around the world. And there was this, you know, great fucking end of Rocky movie, like, ah, my headphones <laughs> off. Been, yeah. <laughs> and so we go, like, put in the bug report, and suddenly there's just huge panic from production and development. What? Do it again. You know, you can't repro that. We can, like, every time with these two cars. Anyway, uh, that guy went on to be, like, the fucking lead level developer at uh, Ubisoft on like, the division or something. So <laughs> he knew what he was doing. But it's, yeah, yeah, that happens a lot with games that are open world. Just Cause 2, if you hit start exactly as the timer went to um, uh, zero, you could then just fly around indefinitely in the game. So you had to do it exactly, like... Like a microsecond either side. It's a skill in itself. Yeah. So, but you can also have programs which which do that for you. There's one called Pad Monkey, where so one of the tests is when it loads, can you put it under enough duress for it to fall over? So one of the things you do. That's why I still do it. Lydia, when I'm playing games, she's like, "Why are you doing that?" Or moving the yeah, the and they're like it's just a habit because you know play games forty hours a week for a year on whatever title. And you're like, yeah, keep doing it. But there's one called Pad Monkey, which would overload it and see if it would if it would go over. And a lot of times it would, because it would try and call the command and it wouldn't be there and the game would go, I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's possible. And there's a lot of creativity in QA that a lot of people don't think exists. Absolutely, yeah. Some great minds working in QA. Mm-hmm. I think we we touched on the on the, the BBC thing as well, which I guess a lot of it is starting to come through with testing for accessibility as well which I guess mm. you would have to do by putting it in front of people who are yeah, one of the, blind or have limited yeah. movement well, one of the guys who worked on uh, the persistence team with me on this shooter had realised that he couldn't uh, he was colour blind and he couldn't see the objectives in one of the game modes because of the um, of the colour of the objective and he couldn't see it when he was standing right next to it which at the start we thought he was just taking the piss and it was like no the crate is there He's like, it's, it's not. And he's like, I'm just standing next to... Because it wasn't fully textured at this point. Mm-hmm. It was just basically an arrow pointing down to it. Um, and it turned out that they, I think the game was changed in terms of its colours. So that was the first time I'd encountered an accessibility issue that was something that... What you would call like a hidden disability. Mm-hmm. You know, that he couldn't see certain colours. And that was the first time. I think that I instructed some of the, the preparation work we were doing for the documentary... Because it's not just about, oh, okay, I've only got one arm. There's a lot of other stuff that people just aren't aware of, that they don't know about, whether that's um, like motion sickness is 
is a is a massive thing. Oh, Paul yeah, Baker. Mario Odyssey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yourself. But those smaller ones, well, Colorblind isn't necessarily small because you there are games that you can't play. Like mm. you don't know what the color of the key. Like some puzzles, just impossible without someone telling you what it is. Through to obviously, I can only use this many fingers or or whatever. But a lot of those things came that that usability testing, accessibility testing. In my experience, at least, comes from having people in QA who don't all have the same backgrounds who can mm-hmm. say, actually, we should probably try this from another thing. So yeah, but in, for me at least, dev and production would listen to what you say. They would listen to it. They wouldn't necessarily implement it, but at least they'd listen. And in some cases, like with the shooter, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the plenty of people have got plenty of different backgrounds in QA. Um, my, my background technically is journalism. I've got, I've, I did, did a degree in journalism. What, what, what are we here plugging, Dan? What have we got? Buy my book, you bastards. <laughs> so I've, I've just finished my second book. Uh, I've already started my third because I'm impatient waiting for the proofreading to be yeah, done. Yeah, but we can't get your second book. What can we get? What's your first book? Uh, my first book is called Mother Russia. It is political. Please don't go away. <laughs> a, a political like espionage thriller revolving around the concept of the Russians trying to reform the Soviet Union against the will of Eastern Europe and I actually had to fight with Vladimir Putin's real attempts to do this <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah he did start it at the time you're yes, right. I, I started to write the book in 2010 mm. and by 2013 I wanted to fly to Moscow and punch him in the face <laughs> because I had to keep rewriting large parts of my book um, my second book is about um, a, a new um, Korean war and obviously Kim Jong-un and that moron in America have been rattling the sabres for the last 12 months so mm. I've had to again rewrite it might just be that. a factual history book by the time exactly. it comes out Dan well no because we'll all be dead <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is <laughs> that's true. the case um, but yeah I, I've I, basically this, this book it took me five years to write it was a labour of love um, it was my first book um, I will always love it and I would like people to buy it please yeah and we've got a copy here I will put some kind of question out I don't know what it'll be Probably like what's Burns's favourite film, and if you get that right, we'll send you one in the post, won't we? Yeah, and also the funniest, uh, the funniest responses may actually win over the factual ones. Yeah, so... that's what we should do. Yeah, the the, the best humorous response. Yeah, yeah. So that will be coming. Your so don't way. just write crank. We know you know it's fucking <laughs> crank, right? It's... Crank and Alien Three are not uh, are not yeah, legitimate they're not, answers. They're not legitimate answers. One other thing, the Monster Hunter World has come out. And as obviously we knew all along, it's a fucking cracker. And it's smashing, isn't it? Six million, is it now? It's it's sold a lot of copies. Well, I can't give an exact number, David. Thank God we've got points on the back of it, eh? Oh, we, we got this is the, like, we're retiring we? off yeah. the back of this, yeah. <laughs> but sure. it's done amazingly. The uh, by the time you're hearing this, the I believe part four of the Monster Hunter World making of, which we made in Japan with all the key players yeah, and yeah. with amazing behind the scenes insight will have finished so if you're worried about spoilers you've probably already played the game for 150 fucking hours now okay you know what's in the game yeah but watch uh, watch the making of the people who uh, really interesting behind the scenes stuff about the mocap stuff was really cool the motion capture studio which you know it felt amazing to be in there and seeing them capturing how the monsters move and so we can't really say too much but it's fantastic and watch it and if you don't I'll fucking bat you I'll find you or you can find us. 
Wimbledon, come over. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I've, I've not actually played Monster Hunter, but I did like the look of the Aloy and... Oh, the crossover, the, the, the Watcher, you know, the, the little costume yeah. DLC. I did like that. That looks really cool. The, uh, the Watcher we saw at Eve. Eve oh, it was incredible. Oh, I love that game. The, like it was an unbelievable. The costume. cosplay, the, yeah, cosplay. But hands down, Horizon is my favorite game of this generation. It's it the best game of last year for me. Absolutely, yeah. I've not played it. Fantastic game. The best oh, game yeah, of last year, Dave, is fucking Provo. I'm glad that <laughs> there's someone else in the world who loves that game. When so I went to E3 one year. I think it was Pez 2016 or was was happening, and Konami had the most att- attended booth I would say at the show that was outside, you know, the like Mario or whatever, because it was a pub and it was styled like an English pub, and so you'd have like all the British games journals just popping up, <laughs> be like, should we have a beer? Yeah, let's go and play some fucking Pez. Sit down, PR guys like gents, fourth, fourth go today is it? Yeah, yeah, come on, <laughs> come on, crack them out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I love I love Pez, and I will only buy a Switch when they put it on there. I mean, it's got to be coming, right? I mean, it's got to be coming because if it's not, I'll be in Windsor battering people. <laughs> well, there you go. You heard it here first. Exactly. So uh, they probably listen Burns to- and Day. <laughs> thanks to, no, 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 uh, thanks no, to it, Daniel. No, no, it has been Burns, Dan, and Dave. You're staying. I'm in the staying brackets. the fucking brackets. Yeah, you're harsh. the brackets boy now, right? <laughs> See you soon. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, bye. 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 bye.